The Trader Cobb Crypto Show, talking business in blockchain. All right, g'day everybody. Welcome to the Trader Cobb Crypto Show. Today's guest doesn't need an introduction, but I'm going to give him one anyway. A lot of the stuff we're going to talk about is not just where he's at in the blockchain and crypto space, but also what he's done in the past. The man, the myth, Vinny Lingham. Thanks so much for being on the show with us, mate. Good to have you on. My pleasure. Great to be on. Mate, it's been a while back and forth, but uh, it's, uh, it's worked out finally, and I'm looking forward to going through it. Mate, look, you've done some pretty amazing things in your time. I mean, I've gone through your, effectively your biography. I mean, you've you got an economic forum award. You've built and sold a business for $50 million in two years, not 20, but in two. Um, you're a pretty switched-on character. Uh, you, you've done quite a lot. What, what actually got you into this space, and is there anything else you'd like to put into your intro? <laughs> I've been a serial entrepreneur my whole life. So it's just been, you know, one thing after another. I, I like doing things I find interesting. I got into the search marketing world in the you know, early 2000s. I then went into the software as a service, cloud computing world afterwards. Now I went into mobile and digital gift cards and payments world. Then I, you know, from payments, it was a natural evolution to blockchain uh, and Bitcoin and the crypto world. So, you know, just finding what I find interesting and going into those markets and those, you know, learning something new. I never, a lot of people start, start companies in the same industry over and over. I always like, you know, look for something different. I think expands your mind to different things. And so I always try doing something different, build a new set of contacts, build new networks. It's amazing how they kind of coalesce at some point. But, mm. you know, it's broadly in technology. I, I try doing different things and, and kind of, um, you know, experimenting. I've written books or co-authored books, rather. Uh, I've been on TV, you know, three mm. TV shows now. The Shark Tank, South Africa. Dragon's Den, South Africa. I did the Natural Geographic Undercover Angel. So, you know. Uh, just keeping a vibrant uh, perspective on things. So, you, it's it's. I think the more you do different things, the more you see what you like and what you don't like, and 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 you just learn from the experience to become better. And as a um, uh, as a person, I think. So, look, here's here's a question: entrepreneur to entrepreneur, you, because you've moved around so many different uh, fields, so to speak, right? Do you take the same team with you? Because that's the hardest thing, right? Is getting good people that understand your system about systematic approaches. They can sort of you, you can throw ideas to them and structure, and then they just pick it up and make it their own and help to integrate that within the business. Do you take the same core team and then have them build it out? I mean, how do you actually move from one industry to the next so freely and successfully too? Yeah, I, I think I, I don't take the same team with me, but I, I definitely recruit people from my past that I've worked with that I like. And so, you know, you, you make sure that you can you can build up a network of people that you know and trust. And it's a lot easier to bolt together a team of people you know than people you don't know. So, yeah, I've been doing this for 20 years, so it's, it's a, it gets you easier. You got it down. <laughs> yeah. the, the network gets big enough to support it, so. Yeah, nice. And look, well, one of the things that I find truly fascinating, 2009, uh, you won a, you was a young, uh, the World Economic Forum Young Global Leader. Tell us a bit about that and how it molded you and your thought process. Yeah, I mean, that's, so I, I actually belong to two, I'd say three organizations now. And so it wasn't really an award, it's more of like a, you know, it's acceptance. Acceptance, yeah. So the World Economic Forum has a Young Global Leader program. I think it's uh, people under the age of 40. And then, you know, similar to, you know, Endeavor, which is Emerging Market Entrepreneurs. I got there in 2005 and then, you know, YPO in 2015, you know. So, uh, you know, you surround yourself with other typically other entrepreneurs, CEOs, high-level people who you learn from and, and engage with and, and have thought-provoking conversations and dinners and events. And, and so it just it molds and shapes the way you think about the world. And, you know, I, I 
can't specifically say what changed and what improved, but it has an overall impact with you. The, you are the company you keep in a sense, right? So, so it um, opened doors from different angles and different perspectives of people yeah. that are highly regarded within their fields, right? Yeah. It's not elitist uh, in a sense. In some ways it is. In some ways it isn't. I mean, the, one of the hardest things to do, I think, is networking up. Right? How do you get to like? There's always a bigger fish out there. How do you get to hang out with the the big fish? Like, you know, how do I get to hang out with Bill Gates? I have no idea. If he's listening, please give me a ring. I'd love to. You know, if he's listening, <laughs> give me a ring, brother. <laughs> you know. So, so like, I've always looked up to you know people who I, I have huge respect for, but but you can't break into those circles easily and, and get there. But at least with these organizations, entrepreneur organizations out there, what they do is that you know each organization has a minimum bar. Okay. Yeah. And some bars are lower than others, and that's okay. So yeah. you get into one organization, and you, you get to network the people there, and then you've had some success. Then you get into another organization that has maybe a higher bar, and you hit meet, meet that threshold. You get to meet similar-minded folks. And I think the goal is to keep moving into uh, groups with like-minded peers, and that you know, as you progress, you can hang out with you know, people who have progressed their careers e- equally as well. You know, think about it this way. As an entrepreneur, if you try to improve yourself and you've just built a you know, $10 million a year business, you can't go and have meetings every week or every month with a group of guys who are running $100,000 a year businesses, you know, yeah. well, $1 million a year businesses. Their problems are very different to the ones you're facing. Yeah. And so it's very different, difficult to learn from them. So in, in, in a sense, networking up happens as a function of success. The more successful you are, the more you're allowed to be in those groups of people so you can learn from them and progress further. So think of it like as a you know, a World of Warcraft character or game character. You've got to get experience points to move to the next level. And you know, you don't go on raids, you know, in Warcraft with you know in a level sixty dungeon with level forty players, right? You you go with level sixty players. Like that's the, you know, that's kind of the analogy I would use. So you, you've got to basically keep upping your game to be exposed to high levels. And you know, I'm certainly not up there with Bill Gates of the world and you know but uh, maybe one day. Well, look, when you're a foot of Warcraft, you may as well be speaking left-handed Swahili to me. I've got to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't know, but I get the analogy, mate. I really do. Look, a question that I get often is, you know, I'm a trader. I'm a trading educator. I'm a commenter. There's a, there's a lot of things that we do here at TraderCog.com. And one of the things is that a lot of people go, well, if you're such a good trader, why don't you give away all your education for free? Now, I'm going to put that question forward to you in the sense that in 2014, you sold a business for around $50 million, right? Uh, something you've been working on for two years so well done massive success congratulations for that that was a little while back now what drives you to move to do something else obviously it's not money and i don't know how much you made out of that i don't care but when there's 54 million going around you're a co-founder you probably did quite well out of that what drives you to keep going because i know this is like this is skeptic in all these people that especially in my world right you know i help people to learn to try been trading for 13 years i know what i'm doing i'm i'm, I'm good at it right but now I'm moving into the business world and doing a lot more stuff in, in blockchain because I see that as being the future and emerging market. Why do you keep going? That's a great question. I don't think I've ever been driven by money as much as I have about by like learning and yeah. the opportunities to change things and build things that, that people want and build products that customers want and build organizations and teams of people. So I can, my motivation is different. My motivation is like, what cool shit can we build? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. like, so I'm a builder. I'm an inventor. I'm a tinkerer. And that's what drives me. So, yeah, I can have all the money in the world and I'd still be like, ooh, we could solve this problem this way. Let's go build that. <laughs> you do what you want to do and you enjoy doing it. You've learned 
to live the life that you want to live. And the thing is, people think that that should be, you know, driving Lamborghinis in private yachts. It's not. It, it's whatever you want to be. Look, if that's your game, sweet. But if exactly. it's not that, then do what you want to do. Exactly. So, look, you're look. Tell me if I'm wrong on this. You obviously, as I've just explained, you've had some success in other businesses in the past. Uh, you, you know, you've been kicking some goals for quite some time now. Is Civic the first sort of really? Was it the first time you dive deep into the blockchain space as far as, you know, putting your name to it in a big project you've been involved with? I think it's the biggest so far. I mean, I was a – look, I'm, I'm an investor in close to 100 companies. You know, obviously, I do Shark Tank and Dragons, and I did a lot of blockchain investing. I, I invested in – I was one of the first handful of investors in Filecoin, uh, IPFS, back in 2014. They raised $275 million bucks in 2017. Um, it's, and that's a pretty big company now. And, you know, being one of the first guys to invest in there, I think it's pretty proud of that one. Mm. You know, but that, I think, you know, for my own account, I think uh, Civic is the biggest sort of blockchain-based business I'm, I'm, you know, involved in, uh, you know, it's most of my time. I'm also, I'm a, I'm a general partner in Multicoin Capital. We're a crypto hedge fund. We run a pretty tight ship. We manage a pretty large fund uh, in the crypto world, and we haven't been beaten up as much as everyone else. So <laughs> that's a pretty good spot to be in. And I have a I have a venture capital uh, seed investment fund in South Africa called Newtown Partners. So, you know, so makes my full time job. Ninety percent of my time, ten percent goes to you know Newtown Partners and Multicoin. You're a busy man, mate. You're doing a lot of travel. You're all over the place. You're between two cities and, uh, you know, Civic. Do you want to tell us a little bit where we're up, with, up to with that? Maybe just the, most people will know what it is, but I do bring a lot of new listeners and viewers in from yeah. traditional markets into this space. So maybe just give a little brief on what Civic Ledger actually is and, and where you're at with it. What, what's the actual end goal? Yeah, so Civic's end goal, I mean, is to be able to power the world's identity system so you could build decentralized ID hubs and and, and tools and services. Like, for example, you could do voting using a mobile phone and your ID information is on your phone. There's like a zero-knowledge proof and a smart contract and, you know, really cool things. That's probably 10 years away. You know, yeah. in the short term, in the short term, what we're trying to do is we're trying to decentralize identity. And that means that you store your information on your phone, your identity is stored on your, on your devices and no one else has access to it until you give permission, et cetera. And... Uh, that's what we're building. We're building systems to make ID verification super simple, super easy, and in control of the user. When you read about all these hacks that are happening where billions of files and personal yeah. you know, person information gets released, like we're trying to remove that from ever happening again and solve that problem. So we have a coin, CBC. It's an ID verification coin token for now. We've built a marketplace around identity.com, the domain, and uh, that's launching in a few months' time. And so we think that you know with, there's enough demand and adoption for you know better, more secure uh, consumer privacy um, products out there that, that identity.com and Civic will be leaders in the space in many years to come. But we've been doing a lot of foundational work up to now, and the real products and partnerships are rolling out at the moment, and we, we've announced a couple. And so I think it's an exciting year for us. This is, this is the big year. Well, I'm glad to hear it because what we've seen a lot of is um, a lot of projects. I mean, obviously, there was the ICO buzz and in 2017, early 18. Uh, and what we've learned from that was, I mean, the way I sort of describe it is it was almost like a, a university or school project for many raisings. It was like a website, which is your visual. Then you had your presentation, which was this fancy video that showed all sorts of things going on. And then you had your white paper with some spelling mistakes. And then you go and raise $25 million. And then now... Your runway is about three weeks because you had poor treasury management. The people running the business weren't actually business people. And I think there, uh, we, we sold all our crypto for dollars and kept the dollars in the bank account. So there you go. That, that's for, we, for we were responsible. We were responsible about it. 
for yeah, from my point of view, I mean, that that's and even if you didn't do all that in one go, there should at least be some hedging going on. At least be, you know, maximizing your runway because a business when you, I mean, the crypto and the ICO projects, it's, the, it's a, a reverse business model. You get your thirty million up front, whereas a normal business model, you do all the grind, and in ten years you get your thirty million. Mm-hmm. It's a reverse business model, and that's why we're. But, 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 but I think people don't appreciate how you know, people investing weren't technologists. So what we saw exactly. was this like huge rush to invest in these things and. It takes time to build technology. It takes time to build good products and services. It takes time to do bug testing and iterations and product planning. Like, this is not easy, hiring people, hiring good people, building teams. And, you know, the rate at which the prices were growing was just disassociated from the rate at which value was being created. It was wild. Absolutely wild. And we, we may never see that again in our lives. Yeah, right. Well, I mean, we haven't seen we haven't seen another dot com bubble. So, well, that's so. right. I've been watching Valley of the Boom. Right, that great show. Absolutely loving that at the moment. And it's 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 basically like, wow, when's the crypto version coming out? Because it's almost word for word identical. What happened yeah. in that little phase to what's you know to, to we've we've come through it. We've come off. Uh, the price has come back to whatever levels they are, whether they're fair, fair value or not. Who knows? Because it's really mm-hmm. difficult to value a crypto company without having the public information available. Um, but you know, investing in good solid projects is really important. Teams and obviously Silic is still around and uh, pushing forward, which is a really really good thing. Now, speaking of the space, there's been a lot of uh, a lot of talk about Bitcoin. There's been a lot of talk about crypto. A lot of it negative. Uh, we've seen this market do this several times before. It, it's not uncommon. I did hear today though that on February third. Uh, if we are still in the bear market, which it would need to turn around extraordinarily quickly for it not to be, it'd be one of the longest in the history of Bitcoin. Now, that being said, I mean, this is a developing economy. It's it, it's a new technology. It takes time. People sort of pin their hopes to the ETF. Now, the, the fastest ETF ever approved was for gold, and that was in Australia. It took two years. Now, the conversation's been two years, but the actual rubber hitting the road and applications has been about 18 months or 12 months, whatever it is. It takes a long time for these things to gain value. There's a lot of immaturity in the space, as I'm sure you're aware. You've been here long enough. You cop a lot of flack, as do I. Um, what do you think is the, the catalyst for the next rising of this industry? I'm not just talking about price. Okay? I'm not just talking about price. I'm talking about how do we get this back into the eyes of the consumer businesses in a light that is not just, oh, this is just a bubble. How do we get that credibility? So uh, without talking about price, I think the reality is that crypto has to have real adoption and use cases and yeah. usage. And until we have that, we're not going to have another bubble. <laughs> if we have any bubble, it's going to be kind of like the moment people start speculation. So the speculative, speculative mania is over. People want real numbers and, and usage and transaction volumes, et cetera. And without that, there's no real indication of demand for any of these cryptos. Yeah. So we're in the phase now where we have to deliver traction. Absolutely. And, I mean, what, one of the things that um, I find interesting is that last year was the ETF and backed, right? A lot of talk about backed. Now, they've put it back, they've put it back. And from my perspective, um, you know, I've worked with ICE before in, in a previous life uh, as a content creator doing stuff in the markets. As I said, I've been, been trading for a long time. And um, I've met this. They're, they're, they're a very sharp organization. They are, you know, they're a very intelligent group of doers. And um, the pushback from my point of view in terms of date 
I can't see them wanting to go into a market that doesn't have that level of interest because they're going to need corporate partners. They're going to need big business to invest and go through their platform and then the wider community. They don't need the little boy and the little girl. They need the whole, they need a buy-in. If prices continue to decline and the, uh, the awareness, the enthusiasm, the hype is not there and we continue to see Bitcoin falling into, two th- uh, into February 27, I can really see them laying off a lot of their you know, contractors and, and keeping a core team on and just waiting. What's your perspective on that? I've been, I've been negative about the Bitcoin ETF since March of 2017. I wrote blog posts by, I don't know if you saw the blog post, why it shouldn't be approved, why it wouldn't be yep. approved. It's, it's been two years it hasn't been approved. Yep. So you know, I don't see the conditions changing. I don't see... Any approvals coming with the current state of the U.S. government, first of all? Secondly, while there's an ongoing investigation into price manipulation in the Bitcoin markets by, I think, the CFTC or the the CFTC, I don't know who's doing it, but um, until that's resolved, they cannot approve an ETF. Because if it comes back and, oh, there is manipulation, now the government's just, you know, green-lighted, you know, uh, like a vehicle for… It can hurt the investors, right? And and, investors, and like the government's job is to make sure people don't get hurt. It's like a very protectionist mechanism. Mm-hmm. It is what it is. And, uh, you know, the, after what, the money was just lost in the crypto bubble, I think that they're going to be very skeptical to greenlight anything else because once it's approved, it's so easy to manipulate and create you know, Ponzi schemes. Well, that's the thing that there's, there's a framework for a reason, mate. I mean, look, the, the, the very talk of an ETF, there probably will be at some stage, but with, yeah, vol- at some like point. with volume so low and manipulation of like there, the volatility so high. You yeah, can't, volatility like, high, volume low, volume low. difficult to move within for institutions. It, it well, it's easy, it's easy to manipulate an ETF as well. It really yeah. is because you can, you can basically short the market. Um, you know, and you can basically go long and short at the same time on an ETF. And, and the ETF thing, I mean, I don't know how the ETF is going to balance the books because money coming in there would force them to have to go buy in the open market. Or are they going to do OTC trades? I, I, I think of all the permutations of how this can be manipulated, it's not, it's not liquid enough, in my opinion, for... Uh, I couldn't agree more. Liquidity is the issue. Well, sorry, not the issue. Let's be honest. There are more issues. There are lots of issues. It's it's a glaringly obvious one. It's it's the baboon's backside. You can't avoid it. It's right there in your face, right? We're still pretty new, right? Bitcoin's 10 years old. The whole market is a space. It's not that old still. You know, the internet existed in what nineteen eighty nine or whatever it was. It didn't start to actually deliver anything to there, There's lots. There, there's so many. I mean, there's so many other unanswered questions right now that the ETF is just like, come on, really? Like, yeah. let's deal with like fundamentals and core issues. Not ETF is just not. It's just not germane right now. Long term though, Bitcoin is it going to stick around or is it going to phase out? I mean, it'll stick around. The real question is like, what's the what's the market adoption going to be like? What's yeah, the right. value proposition to me yeah. to use, right? Yeah, but Bitcoin's in a tough spot. I mean, you know, um, be careful what you wish for, right? You've got this decentralized, low-throughput blockchain that's supposed to have had lightning six months ago, mm. <laughs> you know, which is now 18 months away from maybe being in production if it actually works and gets adopted. You've got usage dropping everywhere. Like, the biggest mistake we, you know, the community made was splitting. Like, we should never split. We should have compromised and kept everyone together and said, okay, fine, let's go on something. But, you know, the ideology behind Bitcoin suggests that, um, you know, there wasn't an option. And so let's see whether the ideologies around Bitcoin are, 
you know, will be adopted by society as a whole. I mean, it can't live in a vacuum, right? You can't take, like, Bitcoin on the moon is worth nothing, right? It needs real people using it. Absolutely. Well, Vinny, I know that you're a busy man. I know you've got meetings coming up. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on this show. May where can people find out more information about what you're doing and to tune in to what's going on in your brain? Just follow me on Twitter, at Vinny Lingham, and uh, always happy to talk to pleasant and uh, uh, well-mannered people on Twitter. I, I kind of block the trolls. <laughs> Good luck with I, that. I, I, I block the trolls. So, yeah, if you ask me a reasonable question, I'll try and give you an answer. Well, from Sydney to where are you right now? Uh, I'm in uh, Southern California, actually, San Diego right now. High five in the air. Put it up. Let's do that. Great to have you on the show. Appreciate your time, Vinny. It's Vinny Lingham, CEO of Civic and founder. Mate, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. The Trader Cobb Crypto Podcast is hosted by Craig Cobb. All Trader Cobb courses, products, and tools can be found at tradercobb.com because experience matters.